0: Story number one. Humans are weird. Basing. Commander Grank, the voice of security officer cracked over the comm, interrupting the commander Grank's review of the latest inventory. Yes, Captain Grank, he responded, reaching over to scratch the microphone. There has been a manual security alert on the primary corridor, Captain Grank said slowly. Too slowly. "'Are you at optimal temperature, Captain?' "'Commander Grank demanded, narrowing his nostrils in concern. "'Perhaps my thoughts are not,' Captain Growln replied. "'But Commander Grank could hear that his security officer shake himself and begin speaking more briskly. "'The security alert! I have never seen this exact pattern,' Captain Growln explained." ''What is the pattern?'' the commander asked. Five diamonds over mesh,'' the Captain Growl answered, his teeth grinding together in confusion. Commander Grank remained silent, waiting for the rest of the pattern, but Captain Growl remained still. ''All I can gather from that,'' Commander Grank replied finally, ''is that the ranking officer, namely me, needs to deal with this personally.'' ''That was my conclusion as well,'' Captain Growl agreed. Who reported this, Commander Grank asked as he slipped off his couch and pulled up his utility harness over his shoulders. It's a community report, Captain Growln replied. So, who reported it, Commander Grank asked, flicking his nostrils in annoyance. All of them, Captain Growln responded. All of them, Commander Grank repeated. Every member in the base who isn't you, me, or the private stuck in mid-bay of for Rushbite. Captain Growln assured him. ''And what is the location of the disturbance?'' ''Commander Grank asked.'' ''The main corridor,'' Captain Ground replied. ''Commander Grank stopped in front of the door and ran his clenched claws over the scale in his forehead.'' ''Where is the main corridor?'' he asked. ''It's full length,'' Captain Grane said. ''Commander Grank stopped and narrowed his nostrils again.'' ''Is the human involved?'' he asked. ''Oh, yes,'' Captain Ground said.'' The human was the other one who didn't report the event. The scent thickens. Commander Grank muttered as he stalked through the door. He found the disturbance easily enough. He had all but climbed through the geologist who was crouching at the door and led into the main corridor. They were apparently fascinated by the source of a rhythmic thumping sound that was passing up and down the corridor. The source of the sound was the human biologist who had been assigned to the base. He was clutching a data pad in one of his hands, glancing at it occasionally as he fell down the corridor. I think it must have been true that it must have a secondary brain in the lower spinal column to control the bipedal walking, one of the geologists observed. Do you think that the secondary brain took over his physical functions while the main brain was distracted by preparing for a conference? Commander Grank asked as he followed the human's moving with one eyes. "'There's no secondary brain,' another of the geologists snaps. "'It's a myth.' "'Then why would the primary brain be dictating this behavior?' the first asked. Commander Grank would have grumbled with irritation and thrust his forequarters out into the corridor. "'Human!' he barked out, pumping extra power into his vocal cords. The human kept walking for several paces before he slowed." His head rotated slowly, and his predatory binocular eyes swept the higher levels of corridor blankly for his disturbance. Human, the commander barked again. The human seemed to focus on the sounds and, rotating his body, to blink slowly at the commander. They stared at each other for several long moments before the commander spoke. "What are you doing, human?" he demanded. "I'm..." The human paused, reaching up to sweep the fibrous radiation scales away from his eyes. I'm just preparing for the presentation, he replied. Does this require you to take up the entire main corridor? Commander Grank demanded. The human stared at him for several long moments, his round eyes unfocused and his head bobbed. Yeah, pacing helps me get my thoughts together, the human finally replies. Commander Grank eyed him skeptically. Do you think you could do this pacing during a night cycle, he suggested. You're making the corridor unusual to your fellow scientists. ''No,'' the human shook his head. ''I need to get this done, but I can do it outside.'' ''Outside,'' the commander said, ''where the temperature is currently below freezing point for your blood.'' ''Yeah, yeah,'' the human said with a wave of one of his side. ''Flat hands. I'll put on a coat and a hat and all that.'' ''I cannot allow,'' Commander Grank began. ''No, no, it's cool,'' the human said as he headed for the exit lock. "'The pacing keeps me warm, Warm warm-blooded and all that. "'Cheers!' "'Dozens of pointed green noses poked out of the doors "'and dozens of amber eyes stared at the human "'as he passed through the inner airlock door. "'Then they turned in confusion on the commander. "'Are we going to allow that?' the medic asked. "'How do you propose we stop that?' "'Commander Grank indicated to the sealed door "'with a flick of his tail. "'Warm-blooded and all that indeed.' End of story. Story number two. Humans are weird. Surface tension. Written by Betty Adams. Commander Strickert, Zoltzic asked and entered the commander's office. The commander was busy over yet another report justifying more equipment and was not in the best of moods. The Central didn't want to supply them four times the usual repaired items, then perhaps they should not send item types of oxidized so quickly in a world that was over 90% surface water. He lifted his attention from yet another description of metal rusting out and tried to look attentive at the young anthropologist. Yes, he said. I had an odd conversation with one of the humans. The Galactics began uneasily. That describes most interactions with giant bipedal mammals with underdeveloped self-preservation instincts. Stultek said with a flat tone, Is there a reason you came to me about it? Zyrtlaktek shifted uneasily with six motile legs and waved a gripper in confirmation. You would mostly likely know whether a human was making a threat or expressing concern, Zyrtlaktek said. It was one of the humans on the space who was expressing concern, Sturkta said with a dismissive wave. They consider us to be cute and adorable. Our eye-to-head ratios are so far into the neonatism triggers that we get the benefit of them instinctively wanting to protect us. Once the horror wears off, that is. Zertalactics looked opposed to enlightenment, but Prime Cluster are fragmented. Sturkta was going to bother expanding on human behavior if he could help it the young anthropologist finally decided to leave it and went on i was invited to partake in a human recreational activity he continued but the human expressed or at least i think he was of these meaning that the forces i would be exposed to would cause dismemberment they asked you if you could regenerate limbs sturkit asked as he amused twitched in his upper mandibles yes zurdletek seemed relieved as struck recognized the behavior when actively did they invite you to do? Strick-Tick asked. Water skiing, Zertlectix replied. Oh yeah, Strichtuk said with a wave of confirmation. That one will rip your gripping appendages right off. Zertlex stared at him in horror as if he was waiting for him to go on. Just tell them you're happy to observe, Strick-Tick said with a shrugged. But yet the forces are enough to dismember our much larger surface and body ratio. Xeretlex began. Shktik had begun amongst the humans for a long time, and he would freely admit, long enough to be comfortable without interrupting someone else. Human limbs are very firmly attached, he replied, and they rely on the surface tension of the water to slow them down and reduce the tension force. You should go. Xeretlex stared at him silently for a few moments before slipping out of the office door. Stricknick turned back to his report and made a mental note to prepare a medbay for the usual human injuries. End of story number two. Story number three. Story number three. A nice swim written by Hidden Fox. Human ambassador Daniel grethen was having a wonderful time. The Kuwakannak were great hosts, and Ambassador Zo Lothan was a very amiable person. Zo had personally guided Daniel's tour of the Kuwakannak's home world, Uther. They had already seen the larger city, the ancient ruins of an old yet luxurious civilization, and some of the natural wonders of the planet. And the weather had been a wonderful and warm, reminding Daniel of his childhood summers. They were currently being given a tour of the Centre and a very enthusiastic Kuni. The Jamanthra Centre was equivalent to an entire city block. It housed the Wuther Grand Museum, a collection and a display of the history, art, science and biology of Wuther. It was built around a large atrium, which Daniel, Zhu and their assistants, of whom there were two, and they got along as well as the ambassadors did, and Kuni who was talking about the pool in the center of the atrium. The pool stretches from one end of the center to another. It actually has 27 bridges spread across it, each symbolic representing the ethnic groups of Kuokanek, and how they all worked to bridge the gaps and the new Wuthian alliance. The pun from the Kuni got a loss from everyone else. Now if you look at the skylight, you can see some odd objects. Those are actually designed to create shadows in the correct time of day, to create lines to a very famous poem written at the bottom of the pool. When the sun shines in from the west at dawn, it spells out the first line of Dufer Lacmar's famous poem, I dance with the morning sun, so drunk on joy. Daniel could see the writing at the bottom of the pool, but it was noon, so the shadows were gone. And when the sun sets in the east, it says, And celebrate the stars twinkling in the night sky. Now, when it's noon like it is now, A shriek pierced through the air. The worst possible shriek, one that everyone knew. A mother's shriek. It seemed that time stopped as everyone spun towards the scream. At the closest bridge, which arced high above the water, A distraught intermoon hung over the edge, Grasping for a child slowly falling. The child was an intermoon hatchling. Intermoon evolved on a dry planet with the thick, heavy scales. The hatchling plummeted towards the clear, blue pool of water. Daniel didn't know how well the intermoon could swim, or a hatchling for that matter, but he wouldn't take the chances. He didn't hesitate, in fact, and he didn't even think about it. He just did it. Immediately, he launched himself into the headlong sprint towards the water, each step landing with precision, propelling him forward and faster. With a splash and a screech, the hatchling hit the water and began to flail and sink. Reaching the edge of the pool, he jumped into a dive. Breaking the calm water, he saw the quickly sinking shape of the hatchling. Using as much momentum as he had on the dive, he was about a third of the way to the hatchling coming back up. He immediately began kicking, ripping his hands through the water in a freestyle. He pushed himself faster as the hatchling kept sinking. Reaching to the point where the hatchling had fallen, he took a deep breath, and without pausing, dived down after it. Kicking and pulling himself down, the hatchling's descent was still ahead. He pushed more, pushing the force of the base instincts and raw, unfaltered need to do the right thing. His lungs burned, his arms were in agony, his legs screamed. He reached out, grasped for the hatchling, and out of some last gamble of tricky act of faith. Oh, pure, dumb luck, so did the hatchling. Grabbing a small hand and putting it towards him, he began to swim up. His body screamed, his arms were going numb from the pain, his legs threatened to detach. His lungs were filled with molten iron and he kicked harder. He breached the surface, putting the hatchling in the air before himself, taking a raggedy breath as he began to swim towards the shore. His vision tunneled, only to see the hatchling in the distant shore. Nothing else mattered. Nothing else existed. Only now did he notice the hatchling's nice tan coat. To its adorable little face, that shore was growing closer. With one last hurrah, he reached the shore and placed the hatchling on it and pulled himself out. He lay there staring out at the skylight above him into the nice blue sky for a little. As medics ran over to treat the hatchling, and the crowd parted for the mother as he sat up. He glanced at the coonie, who threw the soaking hair and wild grin. Sorry, you were saying, um, yeah. At noon it says, for there is seldom a gift greater than today, but tomorrow is above all. End of story.